Well, we have been observing the Advent season on the church calendar for the past two, two weeks. I'll be preaching our final sermon today on Jesus Christ, who is our Prince of Peace. The first week of Advent, Pastor Sean spoke about how Jesus is our Prince of Peace because he came to give us peace with God. He showed us from Psalm 15 that Jesus is the agent of our adoption into the family of God. Jesus is the only one who can dwell on God's holy hill and within his tent, for he alone is the one who walked blamelessly. He alone did what is right when he came to dwell with us at his incarnation, that is, at his birth and during his earthly ministry. So we get the amazing benefit of being invited into God's family if we're united to Jesus by faith. So because we're united to Christ, we are therefore clothed in his righteousness, and now we can dwell with our God in peace. Last week, Pastor Tyler preached from Philippians 4 about how Jesus provides peace for us in anxious times. He showed us how our new status, being sons and daughters, we can have peace in these anxious times. We have peace in anxious times because Jesus came and offers us hope. He offers us healing and wholeness in himself. This week, our Advent series concludes by seeing how Jesus came to make peace between people. Today, we will see how Jesus Christ makes peace between people, and we will see how he creates this peace and how we can cultivate this peace in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. So I'll read from that passage here shortly and then pray for us. So again, our scripture for today is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Let's go ahead and read that. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you've given us this inspired scripture today for our good and for your glory. In the scripture, you give us much to do, but you do more than that. More than giving us a litany of commands, you give us a promise. You give us the promise that if we are in your son, then we are dearly loved children. And if we are your children, then we have your Holy Spirit as our comforter and guide to do all that you've called us to do. So Spirit, help me in my weakness and help me to proclaim the new life that we have in Christ as we read your word today and help us see how we can walk in peace today with you and with one another. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Amen. So if my proposal is true, that Jesus Christ came to make peace between people, 
How exactly did he make this peace happen? How is it that we have peace with one another? I believe observing just a short summary of this letter to the Colossians helps us understand how Christ made peace between people. See, first, we must be confident that we have peace with God. If we do not have peace with God, we absolutely cannot have peace with one another. So first, let, let me remind you, let's just enjoy the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the beginning of this letter. In chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, we see how Christ came to give us peace with God. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So because Christ was pleased to dwell with us, it's now through him that we are reconciled to God. We now have peace with God, even though we were entrenched in evil deeds, because he himself is our peace with God. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we are invited to have peace with our God. It is through his death and resurrection that we are now being presented as children who are holy, blameless, and above reproach before our God and Father. So after this early reminder of the good news, which we believe as Christians, the letter reveals how Christ not only makes peace with God, but also creates peace between people. Colossians 3 is a chapter concerned with living as children of God. Paul begins by telling the church to put off the old self in the first half of this chapter. Within the first 11 verses of the chapter, you can see that Paul is telling the church to stop living as they once did, because now they are ones who have been raised with Christ to walk a new life. These sins are called earthly things that we need to remove, our li- remove from our lives, such as envying what others have, being angry and slanderous towards one another, speaking crudely, and having evil desires and impurities. These ways in which we once walked led to a dividing wall of hostility being built between people. Even verse 11 here shows that before Christ, we had to put up barriers of religion, race, and cultural status between people. The barriers the church was dealing with included Jews and Greeks, circumcised and uncircumcised, with both of these groups having racial and religious significance between them. You either feared the God of Israel and you attempted to follow that law to the smallest stroke of the letter, or you paid homage to a pantheon of gods and called monotheists, or those who say there's just one God, you called them crazy. In this case, both groups were divisive. Jews did not want to become unclean by dwelling with the Greeks, and the Greeks did not want to commune with the Jews because they were a distinct people that followed a lot of rules in a different cultural setting than the Greeks liked to live in. Other examples of these barriers include the barbarian and the Scythian, the slave and free. 
there were some who considered themselves to be sophisticated and cultured, so they opposed those who were considered to be unrefined foreigners. Not to mention the all-too-easy distinction to be made in the first century between a different citizenship status in their culture, either being a slave or a free citizen. So that is just a glimpse of what the division looked like with religion, race, and cultural status in the first century. So now I invite you to think of how bad conflicts get in today's world. It's really not that different, unfortunately, is it? We frequently observe how wars, rumors of wars, circulate the news because of divisions over religious liberties or the lack thereof in certain countries. The tension around the globe continues to spike when it comes to racism, with varying countries having a multitude of issues to work through, but often not resolving them, because it's all too easy for the earthly mind to build up barriers of hate between humans. Unfortunately, those who don't yet believe in Christ draw these barriers of race, religion, and cultural status still today. In our former lives, all of these barriers prevented us from having peace with one another. But as we see at the end of verse 11, there are no longer such barriers between Christians, for Christ is all and in all. These serious and long-lasting walls of hostility are no longer an issue between brothers and sisters because we are united together in the one body of Jesus Christ. This peace that Christ makes between people is an amazing and glorious benefit of our salvation. Today, our scripture shows how to put on the new self. I believe that the ways which Paul instructs the church to put on the new self shows us how we can have peace with one another. So I hope to show you today three habits that Christians can live by in order to live at peace with one another. First, to put on virtue. Second, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Third, let Christ's word dwell in your heart. Before we go into these three habits of living at peace, in the opening verse of our scripture today, you'll notice there's a very important ground rule that's established. Before we look at what Paul is calling Christians to do, he's again reminding us about why and how we obey these commands. See, the gospel is coming early and often today, uh, and I hope it gives you an encouragement. I hope it gives you a renewed sense of how amazing this news really is for your life. Before Paul can even finish the thought about what we were told to put on in verse 12, he interjects with the reasoning behind his commands. You see, brothers and sisters, you are God's chosen ones. He has chosen you with an eternal purpose in mind. In love, he predestined you to be an adopted son or daughter. And you needed him to choose you. Let's not forget that before he gave you new life, you were dead in your sins. You were living a life of evil deeds. And you needed God to regenerate your heart, to see your sin, repent of it, and run to Christ's open arms. What a joy that we who were once his enemies, he has now made us his friends. And as a chosen one of God, you also are holy. This holiness is a status that has been granted to you. And it's also a forward-looking promise that he is the one who sanctifies us. And we know that he will surely and completely sanctify us at his coming. 
So not only are you holy, brothers and sisters, but you are also beloved. The way this word is written shows that this love is an everlasting love. Paul is reminding you that you have been loved with an eternal love that is made known to us in Jesus Christ. His love for us will not cease. It will not grow dry. It will not tamper down or fade away. You are loved now, and you will always be loved because he will keep you a part of his flock. What Paul is about to tell us to do is grounded on the fact that we are dearly loved sons and daughters. So because we are dearly loved children of God, we have the privilege, the invitation, and ability to put on the virtues in this passage. So this is indeed the first habit by which we can live at peace with one another, and that is to put on virtue. So let's look at the virtues that Paul tells us to put on, as opposed to the vices that he said in the first part of chapter 3 that we were told to put off. Now we're focused on putting on. So first, he calls us to put on compassionate hearts and kindness. These two virtues simply are just so godly and so fitting for the children of God. Jesus, you see, wore these virtues perfectly. We saw how Jesus had compassion on those that sought him in his earthly ministry. He felt and expressed this deep-seated compassion on people who were like lost sheep without a shepherd. We too can put on compassionate hearts, knowing that we are called to follow our Savior who has compassion on us. Additionally, he showed us perfect kindness, even when we were still enemies. In Romans, Paul talks about how God's kindness is meant to draw us to repentance. In that letter, Paul also warns the person who has not yet believed to not take his kindness lightly. So if you're a visitor in the room today, and you don't yet believe in Jesus, first, I'm really glad that you're here. I hope that seeing how compassionate and kind our Savior is draws you to repentance as well. For the time is coming when he will come to judge all people, and he will separate people based upon their faith or their lack of faith in him. So I do urge you today, if you sense the Holy Spirit giving you eyes to see your sin and the beauty of our Savior, that you would believe in him today and accept his kindness that is extended to you. Fellow Christians in the room, I ask you to keep demonstrating this kindness of our Savior to the watching world. As we consider the share and invite campaign, I believe the kindness that we pour out to others because we've experienced the kindness of our God is eye-catching to the world. So if you continue being a distinctly kind person in an increasingly angry culture, you'll be sure to have someone strike up a conversation asking, why are you the way that you are? Of course, don't only be this way towards outsiders, but demonstrate this kindness and this compassion to your fellow members all of us that make up the body of Emmaus here today. These virtues can be so readily displayed as members to one another. One example of wearing and putting on these virtues is through your community group. In that setting, you can assure someone of the compassion and kindness of our God, especially as they're sitting there confessing their sin. You can remind them that they are loved eternally and forgiven by our God. It can also look like caring for the downcast person among us, whether that's simply on account of Christmas stressors, making holiday travel plans, 
or it could be as heavy as someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one in their life. These virtues can be easily demonstrated by being there for these types of every member ministry that shows Christ's compassionate heart and kindness. The next two virtues that we are told to put on are humility and meekness. So these two words, they're actually derived from the same words that we see in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So when we are putting on humility and meekness, we are being like Jesus, showing his gentle and lowly nature. So are you putting on humility and meekness in such a way that people are finding rest for their souls because you're pointing them to their gentle and lowly Savior? When I hear these virtues, part of me thinks these virtues in and of themselves kind of solve a whole bunch of problems for us if we simply put on humility and meekness. When we don't think wrongly about our own importance, but rather approach the Christian life with humility, with a right attitude of service, I believe we are on track for a very peaceful time. My reasoning behind this is, what do you see that causes fights and what causes quarrels among Christians? I propose that we see fights and quarrels among Christians. We see these conflicts arise because they're born out of things that we're prideful about. One example of this could be your view on politics. If you care at all about politics, well, you've probably taken some time to investigate what kind of ideology that you believe in, and you're convictional about it because you've put that time in. By the way, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a political ideology or having convictions about that. What I am saying is that this thought process can often be a thing that we hold a little bit too close to the chest. When someone knowingly or unknowingly attacks that, we get defensive and we bite at one another with our words and with our actions. It doesn't take but a, a few scrolls through your newsfeed to observe the vitriol and the hatred that people have for one another when it comes to politics. It's, it's just everywhere. So brothers, brothers and sisters, please don't build up that barrier to peace that Christ has already torn down in his own body. Instead, let's converse with one another with postures of humility and meekness, always pointing us to the truest thing that we have in common and we sing about today. Jesus Christ is our King forevermore. Another example might be how we parent our children. We can be a bit prideful about this, can't we? I know many of us have also received the unsolicited piece of parenting advice for the day that we just couldn't quite handle. We weren't really ready to engage with that day. Again, I'm not saying having a strategy or a philosophy for how you raise your children is a bad thing. In fact, I'm glad that you thought about how to be faithful with the parenting task that, that God has given you. What I am saying is that we need to be humble towards one another, always seeking to understand and encourage one another to stay faithful to how God would have us raise our children and our families. You don't necessarily have to go about promoting your way of parenting, your way of schooling to other people, but rather you can have compassionate hearts towards those that differ from you and assume the best of intentions since they are also brothers and sisters in Christ, and then start those conversations from that mindset. If we approach the Christian life with this type of virtuous baseline, we proactively are making peace with one another. We're getting ahead of the ball. 
when we put on such virtues each day, we get to watch our pride just grow smaller and smaller until it's a corpse of what it used to be before we were saved. What a joy to see such sanctification in our lives for God does resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The last virtue that we're told to put on is patience. Once again, since our God has been so patient with us, we ought to put this virtue of patience on towards one another. How many brothers and sisters have been patient with you as you've matured through your walk with Christ? Maybe you've studied theology really thoroughly, and you began to develop some beliefs that you clung to really tightly. You're really excited about them. Then a more mature brother or sister had to remind you, there are a few other things that matter too, not just your most recent theological finding. Or maybe you've been opposite of that. Perhaps you've been a slow to mature, but a patient and mature brother or sister helps you pick up the pace a little bit and dwell on the scriptures and commune with our Lord. So there are numerous ways beyond just those two examples of how we can be patient with one another. You see, people just take time to change. So let's remember to be patient with one another as we strive together on this community project of sanctification. So after putting on these five virtues, we're then called to bear with one another and forgive, just as Christ did. When we have put on these virtues, we are then able to bear with one another and forgive one another. Much of the Christian life is simply just not black and white, saying do this and don't do that. We certainly have much of that going on, but thankfully, we also have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and impress upon our conscience on several matters that are far more gray than black and white. When we approach one another with these virtues, we're able to then talk with one another about complaints that we might have against one another. So notice here that, that peace doesn't just happen because we're always just fine with how everyone's doing. Rather, when we do sense a complaint coming up in our hearts about a brother or sister, it's our duty to ensure we are prayerfully considering, why do I feel this complaint rising up in me? Is it pride in my heart that might be deceiving me to think that I've got a problem with someone when really I'm just trying to hide sin that's happening in my heart? So after carefully vetting that complaint that might arise against brothers and sisters, it must be done in all compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You're not there to hash out a problem that you have. Rather, you're there to communicate with each other and speak the truth in love. Above all else, you ought to leave that conversation with forgiveness towards one another readily at hand and offered. Because we've been forgiven much by Jesus. So what type of disciples would we be if we held back that forgiveness toward others? You see, we simply just have way too much in common to let disputes and barriers be built up about matters of wisdom and conscience. Lastly, the virtue that binds everything together is love. This last edition of love makes me think back to 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul is describing spiritual gifts that we are to pursue. And then he finishes saying, let me show you a better way. He then opens up the next section of the letter to say, if you have all these gifts, but you don't have, you, don't, you do them without love, those gifts are pointless. So if we try to put on these virtues like kindness, humility, and patience, 
Yet we do not bear and forgive with one another in love. It's a pointless exercise. We cannot try to just mechanically put on these virtues as if it's just like a task to accomplish. Rather, it's to be done in love to create that perfect harmony. This verse ends the, the first habit for living at peace with one another. And that first habit is to put on virtue. See, Jesus has demonstrated these virtues perfectly. And because we are united to him and empowered by the Spirit, we too can put on these five virtues so that we can bear with and forgive one another in love. The second habit we can live by, be at peace with each other, is to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. So when I see this word rule, I think about a few things. One thing I consider is a, a governor. So a governor is often used on vehicles that are kind of like owned by companies. Think about um, all the semi-trucks that you pass on the interstate, right? They all have governors. You're probably passing them because they can only go like 65 or 70 miles an hour. They have a cap there. I don't know, though, that's like the perfect example. It only kind of tops out what can be produced. And it doesn't necessarily govern how the one behind the wheel is driving that semi-truck. Perhaps a better way to think about it, about how we let Christ's peace rule in our hearts, is to think about a referee at a game. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a certain game about to happen here shortly. And when we're watching that game, you'll notice a few people in some striped suits out there making sure the game is played fairly in an orderly fashion. Or at least that's the intention. And it would be a terrible idea to let these two NFL teams go out on the field and call their own penalties, rulings on catches, spotting the ball, etc. Their egos would get so in the way so quickly and lead to some pretty rough scenes for television. However, when we, when we have an agent or an arbiter keeping things orderly, that agent being the referee in the game, that game can take place in a controlled and a proper way. I believe this is the kind of order that Paul kind of has in mind. Paul tells us to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. We need his peace to rule our individual hearts so that when we approach one another, we can have the mutual assurance that each of us are comforted and grounded in our Savior's peace. When we allow this peace to rule our hearts, we can help encourage our brothers and sisters to let peace rule in their hearts as well. If we turn to Christ, and have this peace as our stability, we can be like the person in Proverbs who hears bad news but is not shaken. We were reminded by Pastor Tyler last week that we have the privilege of lifting up our anxieties in prayer to our God. And he has promised that his peace, which surpasses all understanding, by the way, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. So what other peace and comfort are we seeking beyond Christ himself? We are foolish to let our anxieties get the best of us and send us spiraling with creature comforts of food, drink, or other pleasures. Instead, we should, off, we should take the offered peace of Christ because offered to us freely. So instead of letting our hearts deceive us, let's foster peace among one another by committing to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts individually and then corporately. This way, if any conflict should arise, we can prayerfully consider how the peace of Christ can be the final rule and arbiter to that situation. The scripture says we are called to one body. The way we live at peace with one another is by first thinking about our church here, Emmaus, living as one body. If we're to dwell in unity as that one body, 
It's only because we've been called to do so by our God. Once Christ's rule over our hearts is firmly established among our local body, it's then easier to reach out to other congregations across town and ensure that we're living in unity with the great commission work that's happening in Kansas City as well. It's for this reason that you actually heard Pastor Patrick last week pray in our gathering for sister churches in the area that preach and proclaim the same gospel. We know and we rejoice in the fact that Emmaus is not the only church seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not only are we called to peace with each other here at Emmaus, but also called to peace with the body of Christ as a whole. I think one helpful way that we can do this is by praying individually or maybe in our community groups, in our Bible studies, for other gospel-preaching churches in the area. This act helps us be focused both inwardly and outwardly, thinking and praying that we all should strive for unity as a body at Emmaus, and then that we could all be seeking peace with the body of Christ more universally. If we at least focus here on the KC area, I think that gives us a helpful test for how we're doing at seeking peace among Christ's one body, his church. This peace has been granted to us because the work is done by Christ, and it can then be cultivated by us to ensure that we are letting Christ rule in our hearts. One way to ensure that we are letting Christ rule our hearts is doing as verse 15 ends. We are to be thankful. If we're giving thanks to our God, we're in a state that shows that we see him as our ultimate peace, our ultimate comfort. So we are then able to live at peace with one another because we make a habit of putting on virtue and also by letting Christ's peace rule in our hearts. So the last habit then of cultivating peace with one another is by letting Christ's word dwell in your hearts richly. The way these last two verses are phrased actually reveal that if we're letting his word dwell richly in us, there are two results that happen from that. First, we see that we are then wisely teaching and admonishing each other, and then we're singing to God together with thankfulness. So let's first look into teaching and admonishing as the first result of Christ's word dwelling richly in our hearts. See, we are more proactively going to be living at peace with one another when we are all habitually in God's word. I hope that you're doing this from, at, to some degree on your own accord. That could look like you know, a year-long reading plan. Maybe you're more of an active listener and you're listening to the word more broadly throughout your day, finding a quiet time here or there to kind of search the scriptures. However it looks, it's important that you're in the word and that you're seeing that all scripture is pointing you to Christ. This act of letting his word dwell richly in you is simply good for you and helps you pursue that spiritual maturity and love for God. This communion with the Lord over his word is not only beneficial for you, but also keeps you ready in and out of season to wisely teach and admonish each other. Maybe you're a younger Christian and you just need to hear that it's okay to go ask a more mature Christian that you need help understanding how to study God's word. Maybe you've been able to, in a men's or women's Bible study over the past year, in wisdom, help somebody understand a scripture they had questions about because you've been letting the word dwell richly in you. Perhaps you've been able to answer some questions that people have about the sermons or the scriptures the sermons are based off of at your community group because you've been letting Christ's word dwell in your hearts richly. And praise God for these things. Keep doing so. I believe that having this practice can help you fulfill your ministry as a member to this church when you're wisely seeking the Lord to know how you can teach and admonish a fellow member. 
after all, you've been called to unity in our body. And sometimes that means you have to teach and counsel someone in the scriptures. So if you aren't already in the word regularly, I encourage you to find ways, ask around, how do people get in the word throughout their day? That way you might be ready to help your brother and sister that comes and ask for help. The second result of letting Christ's word dwell richly in your hearts is singing to God with thankfulness. You see, we come together each Sunday to read the word, sing the word, pray the word, preach the word, and soon to taste the word. We have our liturgy and our songs chosen intentionally because we want to be singing the word together during our Sunday gatherings. These songs, they, they prove to be helpful reminders to one another about how good our God is. And the help, that helps ingrains in our minds the good news of the gospel. You see, singing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, <clears throat> they're part of our gatherings because these words, these three words in Colossians, it references singing songs that are spiritually true. So sometimes we do actually sing from the Psalms, and other times we sing, song, we sing hymns that are exceedingly Christ-centered. But all in all, the songs we sing are meant to glorify our triune God with truth from the Scriptures. So not only do we sing to God with these songs, but we also sing with one another. These moments that we have on Sunday are, quite frankly, very sweet to me. I get to look across the room, and I get to hear people singing praises to our God with thankfulness in their hearts, and it encourages me to do also, do so all the more. It's quite often that our musical worship team will lead us to sing a cappella for a bit during our songs. The silence of the instruments is it's so sweet to get a taste of the most glorious instrument in the room, our unified voice praising God. So what a unique and comforting way it is to not only encourage me, but to disciple one another when we're singing with one another. I believe this verse also gives grounds for why some of you actually sing in your community groups. Singing together is such a helpful way to get us singing songs of right doctrine to encourage you throughout your day and throughout your week. See, it's easy to walk out of these doors on a Sunday or out of your community group house midweek and sing these songs that you just lifted up together. So I encourage you to keep ministering to one another in this way. Keep singing the word so that we, can, that we can continue and go out singing our right doctrine and being reminded of the truth in God's word. So as we read in Colossians today, I hope you see that Jesus Christ makes peace with people. He has done so by bringing us together in his body. Jesus himself is our peace. He's our peace both vertically towards God and horizontally towards one another. Because Jesus made peace possible between one another, Colossians 3 revealed three habits we can live by to cultivate peace with one another. So first we're called to put on virtue. Since we're the chosen and dearly loved children of God, we are empowered to put on the new self. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior who perfectly modeled these five virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all, we put on love to bind everything together in perfect harmony. And if anyone does end up having a complaint against another, it's to be done in this manner, showing that we are eager to bear with one another's differences and we're eager to forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven us. Second, we're to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. 
when we submit ourselves to God and let his peace be the arbiter, be the guide for our lives, we experience this peace which surpasses all understanding. So should any conflict arise between us, both people or both groups of people can mutually submit to the peace of Christ as the final rule for conflict resolution, doing so in a way that allows us to be thankful in our hearts continuously throughout that matter. Lastly, we're here to, uh, we are to let Christ's word dwell in our hearts. And this is simply just such a positive example of what living at peace with one another, with one another looks like. If we are proactively living out the every member ministry of the church, we will individually be feasting on the scriptures and in all wisdom seek to teach and admonish one another according to that standard. So if we continue being that word-saturated church as one body, we will be mutually edifying and encouraging towards one another. So please continue to serve one another in these ways through your ministries and your own discipleship opportunities in all wisdom. As his word dwells in us, we can also keep pouring out his love and knowledge and discipling one another through song. So please keep singing with thankfulness in your hearts to edify each other. It's a great encouragement. At the end of the day, why should you live out these three habits so that we may live in peace with one another? See, ultimately, Paul finishes this section by saying, we should live in this new life because it is how we glorify God. In this last verse, look at how the Trinity empowers you to do all of these habits. At first, it might seem daunting, but remember that we, we give thanks to our Father because Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son, he lived perfectly, he died and rose again, so that we might give thanks to God through him. And now his Holy Spirit dwells within each believer to empower them to do all these things, both in word and in work, to glorify God. So with these reminders of the three habits of today's scripture, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son to reconcile us to yourself. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to commune with you, our God. I pray that you would keep us in your name, that we would be one even as you are one, Lord. The world hates us because we are not of this world. So keep us from the evil one in this world and cause us to love one another with all patience and peace. By your Spirit's power, make us perfectly one so that the world may watch how we act as God's children, hear our gospel proclamation, and also be reconciled to you. Help us love one another as you loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.